Two weeks ago, I described how Korea, historically united, was divided by foreign countries and influences. Last week, I highlighted how this division was accentuated by the 1950-53 Korean War. This week, I'll be stressing how North Korea is still occasionally reviving the anger and the enmity which originally reached a peak during that war. The North Koreans have been promoting renewed tensions ever since the Korean armistice was signed on July the 27th, 1953, halting the frontline conflict but not ending the war. So here are some of the ways in which the Kim dynasty has reminded all Koreans, I stress all Koreans, the Korean War is not yet over. In January 1967, North Korean shore-based artillery fired on and sank a South Korean naval ship, the Dung Po, patrolling near the de facto maritime border, killing 39 South Korean sailors and injuring 40. A year later, in January 1968, 31 North Korean commandos infiltrated Seoul and attempted to storm the Blue House, the presidential residence. They failed to assassinate President Park Chung-hee, but seven South Koreans were killed, including the Seoul police chief. In December 1969, a North Korean spy hijacked a South Korean airliner to North Korea, 39 Korean hostages from the plane were released after two months of Red Cross negotiations, but, according to the AP, 12 other hostages were never released. This would accord with the belief held by quite a few South Koreans that in North Korea today there are still some South Korean prisoners of war who have never been allowed to come home. On August 15th, 1974... A Japanese-born North Korean sympathizer fired at Park Chung-hee as he delivered a speech on the ending of Japanese colonial rule at the National Theatre in Seoul. The shot missed Park, but hit his wife and first lady, Yuk Yung-soo, the mother of the current president, Park Yun-hai, who was killed instead. In October 1983, 17 members of the presidential party, including four cabinet ministers, were killed when a bomb placed by North Korean agents exploded prematurely prior to President Chun Doo-won laying a wreath in honour of Aung San at the Martyrs Mausoleum in Rangoon. China then engaged in a mediation effort with the two Koreans and for once made its anger with North Korea plain. While for years Burma refused to normalise ties with Pyongyang unless North Korea first apologised for the bombing. The Rangoon bombing was but one of many incidents for which the Kim dynasty has refused to take responsibility. Then the worst single North-South incident in terms of lives lost took place on November the 29th, 1987, when Korean Air Flight 858 from Baghdad to Seoul blew up and disappeared over the Andaman Sea, killing all 115 passengers and crew. It later emerged that bombs had been planted on Flight 858 by two North Korean agents who got on in Baghdad, stored their bomb and left the plane at Abu Dhabi. Both tried to swallow cyanide pills when arrested later in Bahrain. One curiously named 
Kim Sung-il, died while the other, a woman, survived to confess and claim that Kim Il-sung's son, Kim Jong-il, had personally penned the bombing instructions, hoping thereby to diminish attendance at the 1988 Seoul Olympic Games. In addition to all these incidents, the demilitarised zone stretching from south of the 38th parallel on the west coast to north of the 38th parallel on the east coast remains an area of frigid tension, as one would expect from what is the most heavily armed border in the world. Occasionally that tension has created violent incidents, as with the Axe Murders incident on August 18, 1976, when two US officers were murdered by North Korean soldiers when they were seeking to trim trees in the Joint Security Zone. There have been no major armed incursions across the DMZ, but the North Korean intention to perhaps mount another invasion one day was clearly indicated by the South Korean discovery over the years of no less than four tunnels under the demilitarized zone through each of which it is estimated a division of troops could easily pass every hour. One weakness of the 1953 Armistice Agreement was that while it carefully demarcated the DMZ it made no provision for sea borders between North and South Korea. The United Nations Command unilaterally set a northern limit line, the NLL, in the Yellow Sea to the west of the DMZ. North Korea still refuses to recognise it. Sometimes it has abided by it, but recently it has tended to ignore the NLL more often than not. Incidents at sea have increased in the last decade. In June 1999, six North Korean patrol boats repeatedly crossed the NLL and the ensuing exchanges of fire led to casualties on both sides. In 2002, just as the Japan-Korea hosting of the Soccer World Cup was ending, North and South patrol boats clashed with probable losses on both sides. Another clash took place in November 2009, with one North Korean ship set ablaze and one northern sailor reportedly killed. Then came the Chonan incident. On March 26, 2010, the Republic of Korea naval ship Chonan, a 1,200-ton corvette, used for patrolling coastal waters, was sailing to the south of the northern limit line when it suddenly exploded, broke in two and sank. 46 sailors were killed, while 58 sailors were rescued. Some speculated that an old floating mine left over from the Korean War may have done the damage. Given the discordant North-South history, many Koreans naturally assumed that whatever the cause of the explosion and breakup, North Korea must have had something to do with it. To his immense credit, then-President Lee Myung-bak refused to go along with such simple emotions. Democratic leaders often find it expedient to give way to and exploit popular emotions. President Lee refused to do that. Instead, he effectively put the Chonan incident on hold for a little under two months. As he explained when finally he addressed the nation on May the 24th about Jonan's fate, speaking appropriately from Korea's sombre war memorial in Seoul. Quote, Since the end of the Korean War, the North has perpetrated incessant armed provocations against us. 
including the bombing attack against the presidential delegation at the Aung San Martyrs Memorial in Myanmar and the bombing in midair of Korean Air Flight 858. The North Koreans have never officially admitted the crimes they have committed. This time it is no different. They continue to insist that my government fabricated the sinking of the Jonan. I am not surprised by such North Korean behaviour, and this was the reason why I emphasised from the very beginning the importance of conducting a thorough and objective scientific investigation into this incident. I also asked the nation to exercise patience and self-restraint. It was important for us not to come to any hasty conclusion until the results of the investigation came out, unquote. So, after the Jonan sinking on March 26, 2010, a joint civilian-military investigation group was formed, comprising a large number of Korean experts in various fields, plus foreign experts from Australia, Canada, Sweden, the United Kingdom and the United States. The experts broke into four teams investigating scientific questions, explosives analysis, ship structure and intelligence. Now, if you remember those World War II naval films where the submarine engaging the enemy fires off a torpedo, the torpedo streaks across the ocean before hitting the enemy ship, it explodes into the ship, the enemy slowly sinks, the submarine crew cheers. If you're remembering all that, then forget it. Go instead to the internet and to YouTube. Type in Australian Submarine Sinks Decommissioned US Destroyer and you'll see video of what happens nowadays. The submarine fires off a torpedo, certainly, but the torpedo explodes beneath and away from the ship. At first, the destroyer bounces in the water as it receives the initial bubble and shock wave. Within seconds, the destroyer starts to break in two far more quickly than when the torpedoes actually had to penetrate into the ship. As the joint investigation group pieced the story together, what happened to the Jonam was this. A few small North Korean submarines and a mother supply ship to support them left the West Coast North Korean naval base two to three days before the March the 26th attack and returned to port two to three days after it. The blame rests on this submarine sortie because the joint group confirmed that all submarines from neighbouring countries read China, Russia and Japan, were either in or near their home bases at the time the Jonan was sunk. After some successful trawling for torpedo debris on the seafloor, the joint group maintained that on the night of the attack on the Jonan, one of those small North Korean submarines fired off a 1.7-tonne, 21-inch diameter CHT-02D torpedo with a 250-kilogram explosive payload. The torpedo exploded three metres away from the port side of the Jonan's engine room at a depth of six to nine metres below the surface of the sea. As was perfectly illustrated by the video footage of the two halves of the Jonan being later lifted from the sea made by giant cranes, the corvette was clearly cut in two by the compressed air and shockwave generated by the torpedo's massive explosion. 
Altogether, the group's conclusion was clear and categorical. The Republic of Korea naval ship Jonan was sunk as the result of an external underwater explosion caused by a torpedo made in North Korea. The evidence points overwhelmingly to the conclusion that the torpedo was fired by a North Korean submarine. There is no other plausible explanation. Explaining what happened to the Jonan was difficult but possible. Explaining why it happened. What were North Korea's precise motives? Ha, ah, that's something else again. So little is known about the secretive North Korean rogue regime that while many can guess, none can confidently assert. One possibility is rarely mentioned. The joint investigation quotes several times from the North Korean export brochures when describing the torpedo systems. It is possible that the sinking of the Jonam was intended at least partially to help lift North Korea's torpedo export sales. The North Korean manufacturers certainly indicated that they were abreast of the latest technology. Another possibility seems more likely, that the Jonan sinking was meant, according to the perverted logic of the Kim dynastic dictatorship, to boost the reputed bravery and daring of the likely successor to Kim Jong-il, his third son, Kim Jong-un. This is plausible. The Rangoon bombing and the destruction of Flight 858 were used in the 1980s to boost Kim Jong-il's takeover credentials. Perhaps the main North Korean motivation exists only in a nation where there is absolutely no freedom of information and no internet either. The Jonan was sunk because the Kim dynastic dictatorship is still fighting the Korean War and still hoping one day to actually win it. <laughs>